Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Because it's, it's, it's kind of funny, man. I think um, it's, it's good, a good thing. Like I've been wanting to buy suits for, for quite some time, and you gave me a great list of places, brands, everything. And uh, so I'm finally, and I think Suit Supply was one of the places you mentioned too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I never, actually, I've never, and I think I told you, I've never actually bought a suit there before, but I was like, I want to buy my next, next couple of suits there. Yeah. Cause they do, um, they have stuff on the rack where you can get it, you know, tailored and all that, but you can also just custom do an entire suit as well. Um, for this go around, I'm going to do um off the rack i might actually do two um and it's kind of funny well one you know one of the reasons i told you to start recording is i'm like there will be hopefully some interesting stuff discussed today but the reason i'm getting this suit is for a funeral so it's not a great reason but it's sort of one of those things i think anytime somebody passes away it reminds you of what's important and the importance of taking action and the importance of you know getting done what you want to get done in this life because you see you remember the temporary nature of such things so it was kind of a nice little twofold thing where i'm like well i do need a suit for this funeral but i need it for more than just a funeral too so um so it'll be good man it'll be good i'm looking forward to uh looking sharp I've been thinking about that a lot the last couple of days. Yeah. What do you think? Some people, you know, I have always, um, especially with Robles, right? It's like the idea of when you look good, you feel good. When you feel good, you perform good. Yeah. And um, this idea of, it does, for me, it always has, it's changed the mood if, if um, it's almost like, it's modern day armor. You're preparing yeah. for the, the battlefield in business, mm-hmm. right? And I've always just felt like business is a lot of reputation, right? Yeah. And it's, it's about, and so it's almost like when you go to an interview, and I've said this before, I mean, you want to dress to impress, right? And the reason why is because you want to make a good first impression because this person that's about to interview you does not know you yeah so the first thing that they're going to do is 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 see you um and before they even talk to you and they're going to try to read you just based on that yeah and if you look sloppy they're gonna they're gonna fill in the blanks for you and you don't want that to happen right and a lot of times we've heard about this like in police work they always talked about presence having a professional presence right like don't be the police officer where your your boots aren't shined and your and your uniform's not pressed and creased. You want to be squared away when you get out of that car, yeah. Um, because people, when you're showing up and people are 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 in need of assistance, they don't want to see somebody sloppy coming out of that car. And it's like that's not my hero. That's not this guy doesn't look like he can save the day, right? Yeah. But they want to see someone that looks crisp, squared away, and 
immediately, I think it, it, um, it doesn't give you any guarantees, right? But you at least probably feel a lot better than if it was someone that's sloppy coming out of that patrol car. And I yeah. feel like it's the same way in business. Now, look, I have met people that they are not squared away yeah. when we meet and for business. And immediately I fill in the blanks and come to find out I'm 100% wrong. Like this, like these people are, they just, they, they do what they want because they're so, they're, they're that successful that they just feel like I can just do whatever I want. It really doesn't matter at this point. So, yeah. but I am not, I am not there and I don't want anyone filling in the blanks for me. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and even if you are there, still people don't know you. I'll give you a perfect example. Dan Pena, right? Um, he still talks about being squared away when he goes to a bank to ask for money. When we think about people like uh, Kirk Kerkorian, right? He probably yeah. still dressed up in a suit. And in yeah. fact, I think he talks about it in the book about how he liked to dress nice yeah. when he was, you know, and, and I'm sure he did that when he was meeting with bankers and people that he wanted them to invest with him, yeah. right? So. Yeah. First impressions and people will fill in the blanks. And I don't care. We've talked about this before about, oh, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. But that's just the that's human nature. We do it all the time. You'll go into H-E-B and you'll look at someone and you're going to you're you're going to you're going to pass some judgment. And you may step back and be like, I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. But your initial reaction, uh, uh, something like an idea will float into your mind that you have no control over, right? Like you, you didn't try to think it, it just, it just pops into your head. Yeah. And, and you might, like I said, you might take a step back and be like, ah, that, that really is judgmental and I shouldn't be that type of person. And that's great if you do that. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is you did it. Yeah. Right? It's subconscious. <laughs> yeah. People are going to do that. They're going to judge you before they really know you. And I always felt like looking professional is your first step and making sure that people fill in Try to fill in the right blanks, you know, try to try to say the right things about you or feel the right things about you. Because trying to uh, develop, you know, when we talk about reputation in business, you know, yeah. reputation or relationships, right? Re a relationship kind of entails long term. Yeah. I've known you for a while. We have a relationship. Yeah. And that's how we built trust, right? That's not the way it works in business. You go into a bank, you're going to meet the banker for the first time yeah. and they don't know you and you don't know them and you have to develop this relationship in an hour. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, <clears throat> our friend Kevin calls it something interesting. He was, cause he called me up the other day and was, and, uh, was, was talking about getting some new, some new digs. Ah, he took my advice. Yeah, he did. Like, and, um, good. And I like the way he said it. He would, it's like he, he, he was talking about being an ambassador, right? Yeah. And especially in his line of work, uh -huh. right? Um, having that presence. And I like that. I think that, I think that's a good way to look at things when you're conducting business, yeah. um, is that you're an ambassador, right? Um, yeah. and that perception is, is, is very, very important. And it can work the other way around too. You can be super sharp and be a turd, right? For sure. Oh, yeah. But that's going to, that that's going to, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get there. We're going to find that out, out down the road. Yeah. But the first thing is getting your foot in the door. Yeah. Right. Is opening the lines, the ambassador, opening the lines of communication, getting to the point where this person at least feels comfortable sitting down and having a conversation with me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's, um, 
you know as things have certain things have gone along um there have been different paths that i've chosen in these things and i remember when i started buying mobile homes the guy who wrote the sort of original book the deals on wheels was a guy named lonnie scruggs and lonnie was always like you know do your deals in you know a, a flannel shirt and jeans or you know drive a pickup truck even if you got a fancy car like if you do park it away so they can't see it because when you're dealing with people and you're trying to pay five thousand bucks for a trailer they want to sell for twenty thousand bucks if you pull up in a nice suit and a nice car it's like you kind of look like a dick when you're trying to get it for five thousand bucks and you know I, I definitely took that to heart to a certain degree and i'm just not a flashy car flashy clothes kind of guy anyway um but what i do now is has changed and kind of given recent events um my sort of long-term plans have changed a little bit too and so now because I think before it was like one of these things where you want to convince somebody, okay, I can do what it's always about reputation, but um, you're convincing different people of your reliability. So like the, the, it went from being like a seller of a, of a home of my reliability to, like you said, more of a banker, more of a broker, people that are used to dealing with more zeros than the seller of the home. So that's sort of a different thing for me, at least, because I felt like if I came in like sharply dressed to somebody's home, in my mind, it would make me feel off-putting because it would it would it would feel like there was too much of a gap, and I feel like it would hurt the negotiations. Whether that's true or not, that's just kind of how I felt. But now I'm seeing sort of the opposite, especially given the last interaction I had with the banker, which I still feel was not good. Um, it's caused me to kind of want to circle the wagons a little bit, reevaluate certain things, pay off certain debts, uh, give myself a couple years of sort of reinventing myself even more, and then coming back into the fold. But part of that reinvention is is the way I present myself um, physically to a certain degree, which is why I'm thinking about, and I'm not saying that I'm gonna wear a suit every day, I just I don't think I'm that guy, but I'm thinking about that in terms of it might be time to look for a new car, like something that looks a little more expensive, quite frankly. I mean, right now I got, I, I love my car. It's a great housewife car. There's like five of them on my street alone, but maybe it's time to get something that makes a little more of an impression. Not, not flashy, not whatever, but just a little more of an adjustment. And then the same thing with suits and things like that. Like, so to that, that point where it's, a little bit without being off-putting, understanding that I'm still dealing with small town Texas. Um, I'm dealing with people that are much more sort of, if I was doing stuff in Austin, then it would be a different story, I think. Then I would definitely have to go flashier. But because I'm doing stuff in, you know, outside of Austin, which is still in my mind a little more down to earth, it needs to be a little more down to earth, but with some adjustments. So, um, and I've talked about this before and not pulled the trigger. This time, I've essentially already done it because I've already made the appointment. There you go. I love it. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, yeah. And you know, you said something that was, I think, super, super important, and it goes back to that old Deion Sanders saying, right, where he's like, "If you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you perform. You perform good." Yeah. And you were talking about meeting with um, people that wanted to sell their mobile homes, right? Um, and you, you feeling 
uncomfortable showing up, let's say, in a suit, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's what it's about. It's a, it really is about your comfort level. It's about how you feel. Because that's what's going to, that's the whole performance of the thing. I, I look, yeah. I don't, I don't think that, I mean, I do agree. And I, I mean, I just gave this long speech about how you got, you have to uh, at least open up the lines of communication, right? And you have to do that within 30 seconds of mm-hmm. meeting someone that you want to do business with, you know, yeah. especially if you're trying to get them to loan you a lot of money and they don't know, and they don't know you and their job is to protect that money uh, for the people that have invested with them already, Right. Then yes, I think that that impression is is uh, super important. But with that being said, I think it's all also like it's it's your comfort, right? It's how you feel. Yeah. Um, and 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 I equate that to like fighting. Um, you know, it's all about how comfortable are you before the fight. Usually, is going to predict your performance. You mm-hmm. know. When your nerves aren't, are, you know, when your nerves are taking control over you and you don't have control over them, yeah. then, you know, your performance is not going to be probably great. You might fight not to lose instead of fighting to win. But, man, I, I remember and I, and I don't know what it was, but I remember waking up on days of, com- of competition and some days the nerves really, really had me. And still, you know, you were able to pull out the win. But, you you know, I I, I, sure, I did not let out my, my best boxing. Right. Yeah. Like I. I, I really fought not to lose, and, and a lot of times that was good enough to yeah. get a decision. But yeah. man, I don't know what it was, but there were days where you were just like, I, I'm just feeling great. I'm on yeah. right now. Yeah. And I think it's about trying to get yourself into that zone in the business world, right? Yeah. Or whatever yeah. you're doing on a professional level. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people that can show up in a t shirt and jeans, and at first the banker's going to be like, I don't really want to sit down with this guy. Yeah. But you're going to get going and you're going to start talking and they're going to know that you're 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 about business. You might pull out the old Tom McKay and say, hey, give me a second and log into your bank account and just show them your phone. Yeah. And I think that will open the lines of of mm-hmm. of uh, communication. I'll tell you the reason I bring this up is because I was that guy that showed up in a suit to yeah. buy mobile homes yeah, from no, people, not even on land. We're talking yeah. about mobile homes in parks. Yeah, no, you and did the exact opposite. I had the, it, for me, it it was the exact opposite. Yeah. Where I mean, I I did a lot of really great deals, and I think what it was for me in my head, I'm not sure if this is true or not. Yeah. But I felt like the more professional I appeared, mm-hmm. then they be, they believed that I was I'm not just some guy that's out here to try to scam them. That yeah. I had done yeah. this before. That I had done it lots of times, and I knew what I was talking about. Um, because of the way I presented, the way I presented myself. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, and so here's the thing. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. That's, that's I thing. think it's, yeah. it comes back to what we've always talked about. What's right and wrong for you. Yeah. If you're walking into these banks right now, if you're dealing with brokers right now, if you're dealing with other business associates and peers and you're not feeling comfortable, then that's all that really matters. You've already answered the question. Try yeah. something different. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. all that's, that's, it's all about your, your comfort level. I'll say this, man, but especially like, I mean, take about it, think about it from a jujitsu school. I remember when I first was starting jujitsu, um, I remember Kevin was telling me, he's like, look, um, we can get together once or twice a week, but you really need to have a home school, right? Like if you want to progress, you got to have a home school. And so I remember visiting, you know, several schools and immediately, um, without even talking to an instructor, without even taking a class, having a feeling 
of yeah. what school I yeah. wanted to be a part of based yeah. on how clean the school was, based on how professional was it when I walked in the door, based on like how organized it was when they spoke to me in terms of like uh, contracts, things like that. It, it, it all made a difference to me. And this is before I even knew who the instructors were, yeah. how, how, how good were they in jujitsu, any of that stuff. It yeah. was about the presentation of the school, right? Yeah. And, you know, so, but, you know, different strokes for different folks is what they say, right? There's some people that will walk in and they're like, nah, I want the old grungy yeah. uh, school. That's, that's where, that's where the magic really happens. And, and that's, that wasn't for me, but it might be for someone. Mohammed, and I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a good moneymaker. I think that's for like maybe competition people yeah. maybe yeah. feel that way. But like, I know if I'm going there with my kid and that to me is really where the money's at because the, yeah. the, the bulk of, uh, of your students are not going to be competitive. They're going to be yeah. families. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think as a, 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 if I was in the jujitsu school uh, business, which I'm not, but if I was, I would want to cater to these, to the families, yes. uh, not necessarily to competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my presentation of, of my school, you know, um, would be awesome. I think someone who does it really well is Robbie Rabati just opened up another school in Georgetown Yeah. and he put some videos and, and his, his school's beautiful. It's very, it's very modern, very professional. I mean, you can tell that he put a lot of mental energy into thinking about every little detail yeah. of what people are going to see when they walk in and what impression are they going to have of his academy because his academy and your academy, if you're a school owner, will be a reflection of you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like the academy is that suit. Is you know? the suit. Yeah. Yes. You're right, because it's, you know, for what was what made me comfortable in mobile home situations was almost the exact opposite of what made you comfortable in mobile home situations. And, you know, there's there's certain mental hurdles that I've had to, like, work through myself. And one of them is, like, I just never wanted to be a suit guy. I just didn't want to be that person. And um, I think I'm okay with that mentality to a degree. Like, it's like, okay, I'm not going to learn how to play golf. Or I'm not going to do, like, there's certain things where I'm like, okay, I got certain lines I'm not going to cross. However, um, when I start looking to the future over the next, you know, three to five years of sort of the levels of business that I want to start doing, um, my ability to do that all on my own starts to run out just just finance wise and, and scope wise and everything like that. So to start doing things at a bigger level, um, it requires a couple things. Number one, it requires building up a track record and that's what I'm doing right now, but it still requires being taken seriously, even with the track record. I mean, they both matter. The thing is with the banker, you're right. You may not even get that meeting if you're not dressed a certain way, but if your bank account and experience level don't reflect what they're looking for, you're still probably not going to be able to charm your way through. I mean, I know there's instances where that happens and I watched that inventing Anna show on Netflix and yes, she, she charmed these bankers and blah, 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 but I'm not a 25 year old woman. So I'm probably not going to be able to charm them the same way. <laughs> uh, I know it's sad. Uh, so, you know, that to me, it's kind of a twofold thing. It's like, you want to get that meeting, but you also want to have whatever you need to back it up. And so my mind is like, well, why put an obstacle that doesn't need to be there? So in other words, if I'm like, if if it requires looking a certain way and I can do that, then it's like, then I should do that. You know, when, when, when the situation calls for it, I should definitely do it because it's within my wheelhouse. And it would be interesting to have, because I guess before I felt sort of like a, a fraud or an imposter, I'm like, why am I wearing a suit? I don't like, I'm, I'm not at this 
level, but it's like, okay, but where the level I want to get, it's like, maybe I do need to wear that. And then it's almost like in jujitsu again, like you give somebody a new belt, a lot of times their ability after they get that promotion skyrockets. It's like they grow into that belt, like suddenly. And, and that's because it's almost like when you have the expectations from everyone, it's like almost all of a sudden you just become that thing. It's a, it's a weird sort of situation. I love that. I love it. Many times. So, um, cause to me, it, it comes down to, um, wanting to live up to my potential and seeing things of like, okay, where have roadblocks been again? Cause again, um, anytime you've got funeral preparations to make, it makes you, to me, it makes you think about life preparations, end of life, end of life celebration makes you think, okay, what more do I want to do with my life? Like that, that's been my experience at least. So, um, you know, I think about that and I don't want to let mental barriers get in the way of things. And, um, you know, I've let things be like, okay, well, I've got dogs. So my car is always going to be messy to a certain point. I'm like, okay, so maybe I need a car just for my dogs. And then I have a car just for me. And I'm like, I can't have two cars. That's crazy. And I'm like, I have eight houses right now and three commercial buildings, but somehow having a second car is like, oh God, can't do that. Like, you can have the second car. It's cool. Well, man. but you, you know, I, you know what I think that is, Carter, is that you were looking at. Okay, so what got to what got you to where you're at in life in terms of of, of being professional, you know, your professional career and being successful, and you're a very, and this is what I, I think this is. I think this is a constant. I don't think this is one of the things that you can say. Well, if it works for you, I think that you you have to try to be this person, and, and you're a very practical person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so. I think that there was a stage in your life where having two cars was not practical. No, not at all. And so you still feel that way. It's like it's not practical. But in reality, it has become your life has changed so much yeah. in the last 15 years yeah. that it's actually become practical yeah. to have two cars. Yeah, I, I think it has. So uh, I just never, ever in my life, I've only had five cars in my entire life. Five. And I got my first car when I was 23. So it's like a weird thing for me. Like I've had way more houses than cars, which sounds douchey or whatever. But to me, it's like a house. It's like you make money on that. A car to me is like, that's a depreciating asset. Why would I have that? You know what I mean? Like, why would I spend money on that? Um, but thinking about it, why why give myself a, a disadvantage when I don't have to? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. It's just kind of all it's been making me. There's been a lot of thought the last week. Uh, a lot of planning things out, a lot of, I've been watching a lot of, do you ever watch Patrick Bet David? Do you know who he is? Because mm -mm. it's funny, something you said sounded very similar to what something he said about reputation. And he's like, everyone's got a reputation. Like no matter what you're doing in life, you have a reputation. Did you write a book? What, what, what book did you write? The Next Five Moves. Oh yes, I am reading that book right now. Okay. Yeah. So his his podcast is pretty good too. And his his story is interesting because he, uh, he was uh, from Iran originally, um, born actually right around 1979, 1980, something like that. So right when the uh, the Ayatollah was taking control of Iran, so his parents fled. Ends up in um, Glendale, which is basically Los Angeles. It's a part of Los Angeles. And he's kind of a, a screw up. He's kind of a partier and this and that. Goes to the army, um, likes, to, you know, likes the structure of the army and all that. Comes, gets out of the service after four years. So he doesn't go to college. And he tries starting a couple different businesses and they fail like pretty badly. I think he tries like two or three. He's about 50,000 bucks in debt. And he's like, 
I'm just going to go back in the army because like they had a program where they would actually pay off if you had a certain amount of debt, they would actually pay it off when you when you reenlisted. And for some reason, he decided not to. And he he really was able to turn it around like very, very quickly. And I just saw a video of like the house that he bought in Miami, like the twenty five million dollar mansion that he's living in. And and again, you never know someone's real finances, stuff like that can be very deceptive. But it seems like he's doing quite well from the outside, at least. And it was interesting. I, I like reading stories of that. I like the story of the guy who's kind of the screw up. As much as it's interesting to read the Warren Buffetts of like, you know, I've got a, a, a network of of paper delivery boys when I'm 12 years old and I've got all that. I'm making all this money and blah, blah, blah. It's like I, I always like a good underdog story a little bit. I like the guy who's takes a while to get it together. But but anyway, Patrick is one of these guys always, you know, nice watch, nice ring, good suit, like looking sharp at all times. He's that kind of guy. And um, as much as part of me is like, I never want to be that much, but it's like, but it doesn't mean that I want to be all the way over on the other end either. Not that I think I'm a huge slob now, but um, I could do better. And it's funny because when Kevin was asking me, it's like, I'm like, does Kevin think I know something about like fashion? I'm like, am I fashionable? <laughs> I'm like, is there some sort of weird? Well, you, 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 uh, I, I think people associate that with you because you were, you were one of the uh, top models in the world at one time. Former model, true. Former fashion model. <laughs> I wasn't even a fashion model. I got reject. Like, so this is funny. This is one of these things where, because um, when you try and do any sort of modeling, it's so brutal and it's so funny because it's like you literally walk in there with a picture they like either look at it or go back and talk and like literally now sorry you're not for us like literally <laughs> boom right like, like that like you're just not good looking enough for what we're looking for that's and it's it's so like quick and brutal that there's something refreshing about it because it's so honest and it's so like you know so many things are you know powdery sugar coated or whatever you want to say but that thing was just like nah so i was never a, a fashion model i shouldn't be shouldn't but I, I did commercial model i did some you know little commercial stuff so yes uh although none of the commercial stuff i did was for anything the most fashion oriented was dockers which i don't know if they're very fashionable or not this is like 20 years they, ago they no, they had their time they had their moment yeah their dockers when, were... when i was when i was doing their billboards they had their moment so That's how what... did you get how did, tell me how you got that because so, also this, looking at the poster yeah. you could have been any one of the the the, the noobs they're surrounding you yeah right? but they made you the star yeah because well the thing that's funny too is is um they told like i talked to a bunch of those guys and they told me how much they were getting paid versus what i was getting paid i was getting paid like eight times what they were getting paid because <laughs> it, it was like they were i think they were getting paid like 200 bucks and i was getting paid like 1600 bucks for one day which was crazy like that's so much money back especially i was like 26 25 something like that and it's like, we're going to pay you 16, like, you know, almost 2000 bucks to like stand there and smile with this stupid look on your face on these clothes that we're going <laughs> to, we're going to get, and you're going to be surrounded by a bunch of dudes in black dresses. Like that's going to be, you're going to do that. You went to college for that. It's crazy. Were you uh, holding any, I can't remember the push. Were you holding anything in your hand? Like holding a drink or something like that. Yeah, that, it, that's right. You're all, yeah, was, hold, hold. Uh, man's answer to the little black dress. And then they did a whole bunch of. Um, That's a good one, man. I, w I wish I would have been sitting in like uh, Dockers is not even around. Did they get bought out? I, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. 
I wish I would have been in that room where they're yeah. coming up yeah. with the marketing for this. Because yeah. that is great. Like, is. man answer for the little black dress. I mean, that is just, it creates the, the, the image that you, the, the exact image that you want. Like, this this is what you should be wearing. This is the, because what is it for the, the, the black dress for the woman is like, what? Like she can wear, like she can look good in that at all times. And that's like, you can wear, it's like super versatile. I think that's, that's like the idea that you can wear it to a cocktail party. You can wear it to work. You can wear it to a funeral. You can wear it to all these different things. Um, and as a dude, it's like, well, what's the answer? What's the, what's the man's version of that? Oh, Pair of Dockers, bro. I wish I had that guy on the Robles team, somehow, man. Somehow, khaki Dockers somehow <laughs> covers all those things. A little thing. Okay, about. so how did you get turned on to like, okay, that this was the, the they were hiring or, or or anything like that? Like, how does this even? How how does one become a commercial model for Dockers? Yeah. So uh, I had an agent at the time. Um, actually, I had two. I had a print agent. I had a commercial agent, and I don't remember which one got it to me. But they basically like they would have. Um, the call sheet, like, what are they called? The call sheets, or I don't remember what it, like, basically every, the, the help wanted for, for labor, which is, you know, the talent, quote unquote. Um, these things would come out, like, every day or whatever. So it would be like, all right, we're looking for this type. And they would describe the type that they're looking for. And if you were that type, they would send, um, they would send you out there. So and, I got to ask you, what was the type they were looking for? Um... <laughs> I don't know. No, you know. No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, like, whatever, like, all-American type, maybe, or something like that, like some some generic term like that. Um, but, I mean, I remember there was, um, there was, like, there was one for a, um, I think it was like a Bud Light commercial where it's like some guy gets on a mechanical bull and all his buddies are cheering him on. He gets on, he gets thrown off immediately. And, like, that one... I went to like two or three different auditions for it because it was like the first one you just you just jump off a chair and, and then the, apparently that was good enough. So then we actually had to get on a mechanical bull and like get thrown off it. And I met all these guys that were had just moved to LA from like the Midwest and half these dudes knew how to ride bulls. And I'm like, how the hell? Like, <laughs> this doesn't seem so. And then they ended up with some dude who like they just went for a, a different look type of thing. Uh, but that would have been a big commercial. That would have been a very big payday because that was going to be a national commercial. Wow. And back then, like they would pay you, like you'd probably make like forty or fifty grand just then. And then every time it would play, you'd make like a certain amount of money on top of that. So those things, there was people I knew who would do like they would get one of those like every year or two, and they'd make like a hundred thousand bucks just from doing like one commercial. So there was there was good money to be made in that stuff, but. Um, yeah, I just I wasn't I wasn't very good at that ultimately. So but that's one of those things that I look back and I, I not regret, but like I would be able to do it much better now because the problem was is I was too worried about looking cool or too self-conscious or whatever, versus now I can look at it as separate from me. Like this is just a a business that I'm working on type of thing. That's funny. That's funny how you intertwine these two things, right? Because we started the show talking about these mental barriers and, and how yeah. to break them down. And yeah. you had a whole set of different mental barriers back then that oh, yeah. hindered yeah. your performance. And what you're it, trying to do, right, is perform yeah. to the best of your yeah. ability. Yeah. What are yeah. what are some other what do you think? What are the, what are the big barriers now? Or let me ask you this. This is a more interesting question for me personally is what were the big mental barriers then, the two, three top mental barriers then that you feel that you've overcome? And what are they now? 
So I think the biggest one that that helped me overcome was fear of rejection. That's one thing where like, as much as I'm like, God, what was I doing that age? That being said, I got told no probably hundreds of times. So the fear of when it came to like calling up people about buying their house and things like that, I wasn't scared of rejection at all because it's like rejection was something I had been told so many times. So there was that. I and that's that, almost a harder rejection, right? Because it's a very, it's a very personal one when they reject you from like a modeling or acting job. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, there, there was, there was just so many reasons you got told no. It's like, oh, you look too much like somebody else already on this show or you're too, like you're too this, or you're too that or, or, or whatever it might be. And it's like, yeah, getting rejected over and over again, that, that I think is the, the best thing that I got out of that period of my life was because, you know, after that, I was just never, I'm not scared of somebody saying no. Um, because it's, yeah, you get, you get, because there's a lot of people that are so scared to, so tetra, you know, petrified of rejection or whatever, or failure. That was the other thing too, was failure. Cause it like, I thought I was pretty good. And then I started watching video of my quote unquote performances. And I'm like, I'm terrible. Like I'm cringingly bad. I remember showing one thing that I did that I thought I was really funny to a friend of mine. And it was one of those things where it was it was like two minutes and it got so awkward within the first 45 seconds that I finally had to just turn it off. Like <laughs> it was just so bad. And so the the fear of failure was the other thing. So it's fear of rejection and fear of failure. That was another thing where it's like, OK, I've already done that so much and I've already failed so much at this other endeavor that when it came to like real estate stuff, I wasn't nearly as afraid as I think as a lot of people were because I failed so many times. And that's um, that's one thing that I think is probably my biggest strong, my strongest suit is that I'm not afraid of failure because I've just, I've failed at so many things in life. But I and, would almost say that that is one of the most powerful mental blocks yeah, that yeah. a person can have. Shoot, and when works. you overcome that, like it's, you're light years ahead of everybody else. I would even equate it to fighting. You see that, that fighters are not afraid to fight, yeah. you know? When a fighter tells you, oh, I'm, I'm afraid, yeah. they're not a lot of a, a lot of I would say normal people who've never fought. Yeah. They're going to take that as like, oh, yeah, I get that. I, I would be afraid to fight, too. Right. And that's not what it is. They're, they they want to fight. Yeah. They're afraid of losing. They're afraid of letting people down that have helped them get to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's so I think that um, I, I think it really helped with those two things, though, that those two things. I think that where. um where I was not able to move past mentally was, like I said before, the idea of separating me, who like who I thought I was and what was important to me versus me, the product. Um, and that's something that I think people have to sort of decide. They're not the same thing? They're, they're not. I, I don't think they're the same thing in that. But I also think that um, it, it sort of dictates what you want to do in life. So I mean that. Can I they like, be the same thing, though? They can be the same thing, right? I think they can. And I feel like nowadays the lines have gotten way more blurred because you got to remember this is I stopped doing this 20 years ago. This is like or 21 years ago. So like this is pre YouTube, pre all social media. There was no Facebook. There was no MySpace. There was no Friendster. There's no Twitter. There's no computers. It's time, right? <laughs> I didn't have a cell phone back then. I had a pager. Um, so I mean, it was, it was a totally different time. So the the idea of you're a brand, a person is a brand. People didn't talk like that back then. Nowadays, everything is about personal brand and blah, blah, blah. Yes. But 21 years ago, 22 years ago, that just really didn't exist. Um, so, you know, if I'd been way ahead of the curve, fine. 
Um, nowadays, I think it's much more into the, the lexicon or whatever. Um, but that being said, I think that as much as I agree with what we were talking about before in terms of showing you're reliable, showing you this, showing you that, but you don't have to pick things where you're going to be the center of attention either. Because ultimately, I think I decided I like being more behind the scenes in terms of I don't need my name on a building. I don't need, you know, like my face on a billboard. I don't need like these different things necessarily. But what I do want is I want the important people that are making the decisions about cities and places and stuff like that. I want those people to know who I am and I want those people to respect me. And I'm going about it in that way, which I think is different than just seeking attention the way other people are when their whole thing, their whole brand is themselves and they're a YouTube personality or an influencer or a real estate guru. Like I thought about that with real estate a lot because I tried to do some of that stuff for a while in terms of teaching online or putting videos up. And I ended up taking everything down because I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to go do the things. Maybe someday, once I've done the things I want to do, then maybe I'll open up the book again. But Tom McKay was the same way. He's like, I wasn't going to show anybody what I was doing when I was coming up. He's like, I'm rich now. I'll show you what I did now because now you can't compete with me. I'm <laughs> pointing to Mo Siddiqui, obviously, but just pointing to whoever. And I think there's a value to that knowing to a certain point. It's like, okay, I've done what I want to do, but I just haven't. So I want to get to further levels before I'd even think about doing that again. And I may just not. I may just not want to do it. Um, so, yeah, I think that I'm glad I did all that stuff just because it, it did. It thickened my skin up quite a bit. And I've talked to people that are so deathly afraid of failing because I've met a lot of people that, you know, we have a mutual friend who we'll talk about off air um, who confided to me recently about, you know, frustrations over failure and, and sort of encountering one of the big first failures of their life. And it's like, I'm like, man, I cannot imagine getting to that, that age and you know, having only one failure. Good Lord. But there's people that are like that. They do super well in school. They go to college. They do super well. Maybe they get a professional degree or they get a, you know, they become a doctor or, or engineer or lawyer, whatever it is. And they, they get hired from a top firm or a big company and they do this and they move their way up. And it's like they're 35 and they've succeeded at everything they try to do. And then all of a sudden they get hit with some failure. And I'm like, that would be feel I, I would feel way like so vulnerable. Like if I just only known success and there's some people where it's like they're a winner. That's what they are. And it's like, that's cool. But I don't know. I, I, I'm glad that that didn't happen to me because it's like then you kind of if I don't know, like to me, it just I feel like it makes you a tougher person by having failures early on. It makes you realize what you're made of. You know, I mean, I look at that with jujitsu. It's like to me, the moment I really knew I was in jujitsu for life was like when I had my first surgery because I'm like, OK, like that kind of is dividing. There's some people like, oh, this isn't worth it. And there's other people like, all right, well. I'm in it now forever. And, you know, that once you kind of have gone down that road of you've had injuries, you've had different things, it makes you realize like what you're made of. Because it's easy to be like doing something, you're, it's the same thing as jiu-jitsu, I guess, or, or fighting or whatever. It's fun fighting when you're winning. Like, that's a lot of fun. Like beating somebody's ass, it's kind of fun. Choking somebody's kind of fun. It's picking them up and slamming them. That's good stuff. But when it's happening to you and you're around situations where it's like, no matter what I do, I will never be able to beat this guy. And I'm just going to have to endure beatings every single time. Do I want to do that? 
And I mean, and most people are going to say no, but if you're the kind of person who are like, well, but if I can get something from it, if I can learn something from it that I can apply maybe to somebody else or maybe just win a little battle I'm usually losing, that's worth it to me. Well, you're a different kind of person then. You know what I mean? Like, because the person who's like winning all the time, it's like, I don't know if I trust that person. Well, and we talk about this, right? Like the difference between champion and the number one ranked guy in terms of talent is a lot of times very, very small. Yeah. The difference is usually come down to mental fortitude, yep. right? And mental fortitude is accumulated by trials and tribulations, yeah. right? So, so whoever is going to be stronger mentally yeah. is a person that's been through the ringer more times, yeah. right? And you look at successful people, like people that we truly admire in life that have been successful at a very high level. And I think the one commonality between them all is they talk about the enormous failures that yeah. they've had throughout their entire lives. And I'm talking about things that are not just failures, but like straight up trials and tribulations, like children dying, yeah. wife dying, yeah. uh, you know, to the point of like most people would probably just give up on life altogether, yeah. right? Yeah. But these trials and tribulations, because they have gone through these obstacles, it's like there's not really a situation they're going to walk into now where they feel intimidated, yeah. right? Because yeah. life has thrown everything at them and they're still standing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we could talk about fellow Austin local, uh, Elon Musk, who, uh, you know, if you read his story about Tesla, I mean, Tesla was on the verge of bankruptcy, so close to running out of money. And, you know, the things that he had to do to sort of pull it out from just the brink of total failure were pretty crazy. And, you know, he is now the richest man in the world. He's now the kind of guy who's like, you know, I don't like the way Twitter's going. I think I'll just buy the company. And he can do that. And there's some people who get all upset about that. There's other people who appreciate a boss move like that. I thought it was awesome. But hey. I think it's about, yeah, I, I love the old tender offer. Yeah. I mean, anytime, like, anytime you can, you can lay out a tender offer. You, that's, that's a boss move. It's pretty fast move. So, <laughs> but, but I mean, he was literally on the verge of bankruptcy, what, 11, 12 years ago, not that long ago. And so, but I think what's so good about that is that he's no longer going to fear that in the same way. And it's not to say that that's going to make you reckless, but you know what you're made of, you know, it's like, um, you know, that when, when there's stressful times and there's stressful situations, that's that's a lot of times where you see what somebody's really made of. And he's certainly been through that in a business sense. It has not been just a, a quick ascent to everything. And I think that's that's important. I think that's why he's got so much resilience. And I think that's why, at least from my point of view, it looks like it's a guy who's having fun doing what he's doing. Because like his just his ability to troll people is just quite spectacular. I think it's one of his best um, assets that he's got and, you know, his ability to do it. And that's just, I think the idea of, even though I know that I'm sure it was behind the scenes differently, but the idea of like, I'm just going to do a poll on Twitter and see, do people think it's a good place for free speech or not? Of my 80 million followers. Oh, most of them think it's not. Well, I'll buy the company then. How about that? Now, I know that's not exactly how it worked, but it's like the presentation of that, I think is so brilliant. Because like, you know, we've talked about presentation throughout this whole talk and i think that he understands the importance of theatrics and telling a story and, and doing all that and how persuasive that can be and so that's always interesting to watch because 
I think that's something that he probably evolved to be very good at because he was an engineer. I don't think he was necessarily like that type of guy 20 plus years ago, but he's become that kind of guy. And part of that is having the resilience. And part of the reason he's got that resilience is because the shit almost completely hit the fan and he still didn't blink. So now it's like, well, now what are you going to do to him? Like, oh, we're going to protest Twitter and and we're not going to tweet anymore. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah, I know. And, it, and it's a whole nother level, right? It's a level that I wouldn't even want to deal with. Like, no. I remember we were talking about, not long ago, my good friend Carter Fisk um, was in the midst of a potential lawsuit. And I, like you just being my close friend, I was I was stressed out about it. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. This, is not, this is completely unnecessary. But then I think about people like Elon Musk, right? When the SEC is coming after them, like uh, yeah. the weight of the yeah. uh, the weight and power and resources of the U.S. government. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, OK, you, you're going to sue me. No, I'm going to sue you. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's funny. Yeah, because I remember telling a buddy of mine um, who actually knows Tom McKay. I don't know if he was talking about Tom or not, but I remember telling him when I was getting sued. And I'm like, oh, God, like I'm all and he's like. He starts laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? He's like, oh, it's your first time, huh? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I remember my first time getting sued, too. Like, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, I was all stressed out. But yeah, like, not you'll get used to it, but it's kind of like the first time is because it's, you know, a lot of investors, it's like your biggest fear is getting sued. And then when it happens and then it's like, then it's just sort of almost becomes just a simple financial transaction where you're like, OK, well, is my reputation going to be damaged enough that it's worth fighting this and spending more money? Or is this something that's such a non-event that I just have to decide what's the better use of time and money? You know what I mean? Because I was like, okay, right. it's going to cost me about 10,000 bucks to fight this. And I know I'm going to win. Like I literally have everything documented, but I'm going to spend 10 grand. Or am I going to spend 5,500 bucks or 6,000 bucks and it'll all be done in a week and go away. I'm like, I'll spend the 6,000 because I don't care. Like, it's not. It's a waste of mental energy. Yeah, it's like this, oh, well, she thinks, but I, I don't care what this person thinks. I don't want this person in my life ever again. And, and so I'll pay for that, pay for that person to go away faster than spend more money. Now, if it was something where it was really potentially damaging and it was, you know, I don't know. I keep watching the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing that keeps circulating on YouTube. And it's like, I don't think Johnny Depp thinks he's going to get $50 million from Amber Heard, but his reputation was damaged a lot. He's known as people thought he was a wife beater. He thought all this stuff. So his thing is like, oh, no, no. She is somebody who lies about everything, poops in beds and treats everybody terribly. And that is what's going to get out in the world. Not me being a wife beater. And, And I can understand that. It's like it's worth fighting for that reputation when it's damaged at that level. Um, I didn't think that the Will's point. Um, you know, $100,000 house incident was going to damage my reputation the same level. So I let it go. So, yeah. We were talking about uh, sometimes how you present yourself can help you overcome. Really, I think what this is coming down to is like mental blockages, right? Yeah. And how to overcome those mental blocks in yeah. order to live to your fullest potential, right? And I think sometimes how you present yourself um, can help you overcome mental blocks because again, you know, if, if, if you feel good, if you can get into that zone, right? Like, you know, it's like Superman throwing on the Cape and he's no longer Clark Kent, right? He's this other persona. Yeah. But what are some, 
what are the, and we talked a little bit about mental blockages in the past and the things in your life that have helped you overcome them. And I yeah. almost feel like this is turning into an interview because I, yeah. I'm, I'm always fascinated because I, I, I really do admire what you've accomplished up to this point. Um, and not only that, but been able to stay so grounded and humble at the same time, right? Like people would be uh, sitting next to you at a Starbucks and would have, would have no idea. Um, but someone like your good friend Mo is like, man, this guy's well, well balanced, right? He, 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 he kind of, you, you kind of, um, I want to say nobody's life is perfect, right? That's just, that's impossible. And, and, and I don't think that, uh, I think it's unrealistic, but when we, when we started this podcast, it was a lot about finding balance, right? And I always feel like since we've been friends and, and um, we've always been looking for that. And I see a lot of balance in your life. Right. Yep. Like yeah. you have a great relationships, um, uh, great marriage, business is going well, jujitsu yeah. is going well. And there's there's constant tweaking going on because you're always trying to maintain this balance. And yeah. it's about being authentic, being who you are, not trying to be someone that you're not. Right. That's why making these decisions about, oh, I don't want to buy a second car because it's it goes against everything yeah. that you are as a person. Yeah. Right. Like I don't want to wear a three-piece suit because that's just not the type of guy yeah. that that you are. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And in, in terms of the authenticity, right. what are the what's the number one biggest mental blockage you have now, aside from having to wear a custom suit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good question. I think I don't know if I, I describe- because that would be the thing that you would want to address yeah. first forms because that would get you to the next level and whatever it is professionally I, I, it's, personally it's i think part of it is going to be like approaching the idea of partnerships um or some type of syndication or, or something like that and so what i mean by that is um at a certain point i'm just simply going to run out of money to be able to do everything on my own so then it becomes well is that enough and maybe it is you know, it might be. Um, or is it something where I'm like, okay, I'd like to see if I can do bigger things, but bigger things involve getting more people involved. And that could be um, just continuing to build the relationships with banks and stuff like that. That would be my first choice, just because I think that's the most straightforward. And that's kind of what they do. But then there's also the idea of like, do you start looking for private investors? Do you start looking for equity partners? Um, things like that, that I've always really shied away from. Um, partly just because all I see is downside on those kind of things. All I see is loss of control, which I don't like. Um, so I think that's a mental barrier because it can be done successfully. It is done successfully. And really, that is how business is simply done past a certain level. But it in just, your mind, it you're, all you can focus on is all the bad things that will happen by taking on partners. That's, that's what I, mean, I, 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 I I'm putting words into your mouth. I'm speaking for myself. No, that's, that's exactly that's, what that's exactly what I think. When I think about taking on a partner, yeah. I'm, I, I don't focus on all the good things. Yeah. I focus on what I my experience on human beings have been, especially yeah. from my previous job, yeah. that when their yeah. back is against they wall, their wall, my experience with human beings is that sometimes they compromise principles and Absolutely. morals and ethics. Yes. Right. Yeah. And in order to avoid taking the loss. Yeah. Um, we'll do stuff like that. I mean, wait, I have clients now. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see it in the trades business, right? Where clients will, they know that they're doing wrong and that they're cheating you out of money by, but you know, they'll, they'll do it because they don't want to lose money, right? Like people will do 
do what they you, you see people's self-interest take over in other sure. words it's, and it's, and what ideally what you would want to do is you want to do business with someone who puts your interest before their interest yeah but you do the same for them and yeah. that kind of makes the best partnerships right but then yeah. you're talking about like ideal I'm, yeah. I'm i'm very much with you right it just takes a lot of mental energy for me yeah. to it keeps me up at night thinking about yeah how do I keep my partners honest when really you shouldn't have to try to keep them honest. They should just be honest, but you never know again, what a person is going to do when you put them through the ringer. And here's the thing is that you're not just doing business with that person. You're doing business with everyone that is in that person's circle. Yeah. Perfect example. I had a buddy, a uh, very, uh, very successful, uh, uh, was, was in a business, had a partner, and and they were doing very well but then the business went to crap and i when i asked how he says oh it's that's easy because my partner's wife got involved and started making all these decisions and knew nothing about the business yeah. and because he wasn't able to like just nip it in the bud yeah then you know and i think that that i i see that happening a lot right like who's who's whispering in your partner's ear yeah. right and, and now creating and so a lot of it is just like I know that if I have control over it and I have 100% control over it, then these are like these are uh, these are non-issues, yeah. right? I don't I don't I don't really have to worry about it. But you're 100% right. Yeah. Like you can only go so far on your own, and yeah. I think you have to circle back. And I think there's a lot of philosophical reflection here in terms of like, okay, I want to go bigger, but now you got to go back to the why. Like, why do you really want to go bigger? Right? Is good good enough? Is it going to bring you? any more happiness in your life and life is, is very short, right? So, um, I think for me going bigger has to be about like at a certain point. So right now for me, it's all about like, um, financial independence and being able to make sure that I maintain that. That is super important to me yes. because financial independence is not the end game. Happiness is the end game. Yeah. Financial independence helps me achieve that happiness, not 100%. because of the money. I don't want people to get confused and think, oh, most saying money brings happiness. No, but what financial independence does bring me is it allows me to spend time with all the people that do make me happy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, since I've become financially independent, I have flipped uh, how I consume time completely around. I used to spend 80% of my time doing what other people wanted me to do and 20% of my time doing what I wanted to do. That's completely flipped now. I spend 80% of the time doing exactly what I want to do with the people I want to do it with. And 20% of the time I have to do what other people tell me mm -hmm. to do, whether it be clients or, you know, just, you know, whatever it is dealing, dealing with business. Yeah. And I wouldn't trade that uh, for anything in the world. Yeah. Uh, but I think for me, once I get to a point where I'm like, I guess as Grant Cardone calls it, and 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 I shy away from mentioning the name because yeah, yeah. you know, I don't yeah. really know Grant Cardone and I don't really watch his stuff. But he said something one time and he was like, uh, he used the term be becoming financially indestructible, right? And yeah. basically what he meant by that is that if if like so many things went wrong at once, that yeah. you would still be financially insulated, right? Yeah. And I have that number in mind on what that number is for me to be insulated and to bring in that passive income to maintain yeah. the lifestyle that I live now. Yeah. Now, what would be the point of going bigger than that for me? And there is only one thing that I've come up with. It would have to, it wouldn't have to, it, it cannot be about me. Like yeah. anything beyond that, yeah. uh, beyond what I have decided I need financially, it has to be because I, it's going to make the world better or it's going to make the people around me better. It's, it, it has to be 
like really about, so I don't mean to sound like righteous or anything like that, but it has to be a lot about self-sacrifice and about helping and giving back. That's, yeah. that would be the only thing that would motivate me to go to a higher level. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. That, those are good reasons. Cause yeah, I think that's, I think you're right. I mean, past a certain point when you have everything you need, then why would you be motivated to have more? Um, now there's some people that just more is never enough. And then there are those people. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is you're not that kind of person. It's like, once you get what you need, it's like, I have what I need. Um, cause it sounds like neither one of us is particularly enthused about taking on partners. Um, and I think that, you know, it may just be one of those things. I think that part of a mental block is deciding, I think, whether something is a mental block or not, because it's something where not everyone, some people may just not want or need partners. My father-in-law is a great example. He had partnership once and it turned to crap and, and he's never had one since. It's just him and his wife and they've been very successful. So they didn't need to do it. So there's people out there that I've met that I know that have done very well that have never taken on partnerships. There's some that I know that have never taken on any debt at all. They have no debt. They own everything in cash. So that is completely doable. And that's sort of like the Dave Ramsey, you know, idea of doing things where you don't take on debt and, and you know, maybe you don't take on partners either. Um, so part of it might just be really analyzing that and going, I agree with my decision and that's it. And I'm comfortable with it. And maybe I'll revisit it in a couple of years. And cause that's kind of where I'm at right now. To me right now, I'm like, I don't want to take any partners on right now. However, I want to be attractive for that at a certain point, even if I choose to reject it or choose that I don't want to go down that path or whatever it might be, I want to be in a situation where I never want to have a conversation with a banker like I did the other day, where I felt like they were just telling me, we don't fully believe in you. That's what it felt like to me. So I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to go do some things. I'm going to go move some money around. I'm going to pay off some debt. I'm going to do some different things, build up some more assets, build up more cash flow. And then I'm going to come back. And then we'll see where they stand. Not because I'm placing my happiness in somebody else's, you know, decision making, but professional reputation and professional opinion about you matters. So this is where I think actually tying this all back in, this is the difference between me now at almost 48 versus me at 24. At 24, it would all be about me and I'd be devastated. Oh, I got rejected. Like they wasn't good enough and blah, blah, blah. And, and But that's kind of where it would end. And then maybe I'd be bitter. I'd be like, what do they know? And blah, blah, blah. They weren't a doctor's model. Um, you know, that, that might be the end of it. But now, half a life later, you know, twice as long living on this earth, what I look at it is I go, okay, these are guys that are experts. And this is what they do. And this is how they analyze risk and, and what they're going to invest in. Because that's what a banker is doing. They are investing money. And they're seeing some hesitations, some roadblocks, some things they don't like. So I'm going to go fix those things. I'm going to take their professional advice, which I didn't have to pay a dime for. And I'm going to go fix those things and work on those things and enhance those things. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to see where I progressed. What other roadblocks are there? Are there other roadblocks? Because part of it's like the deal wasn't quite good enough and my track record wasn't good enough at that point either. So I'm going to fix both those things and then I'm going to come back and I'm not going to take it personal. I'm going to make the person better. You know what I mean? I'm going to make myself as a as a as a business better. And then I'm going to come back and see. And it might take a couple of years and I'm okay with that. 
So that's kind of where I'm at now versus years ago. It's like I just couldn't distinguish between getting criticism and just taking it so personally versus let me use the criticism, let me use the feedback of of that from somebody whose opinion that matters and let me rectify that and then come back. So that's kind of, I think, the difference between young man me and middle-aged man me. And uh, should we live another 24 years, we can see what old man me is doing, which is probably uh, hopefully better than both of those others. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, my brother. Such yeah. a great conversation. Uh, yeah. To check out this uh, podcast, go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life uh, to re-listen. Uh, check out, check us out on Apple iTunes as well. Like, review, subscribe, all that type of thing. Shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jujitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic, Robles. We make custom keys. Yellow Pine Investments makes custom warehouses. Be sure you check them out. Also, check out Quantum Leap Digital Design Agency for all your website design uh, needs. As always, I'm Mo. That is my brother Carter, and we wish you guys nothing but the best both on and off the map. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Robles newsletter to get the exclusive content at robles.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.